0: Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I was scheduled to speak on the Senior High Retreat last weekend, but it got postponed due to weather. It looks like we're going to reschedule for a month or so from now. I'm teaching Romans chapter 8 on that trip. So I decided I would try to kill two birds with one stone and teach it in here as well. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, that same Apostle Paul that wrote Ephesians, which we just finished studying a couple weeks ago. Paul, the great missionary of the early church who was spreading the gospel everywhere and who God used to write a significant portion of the New Testament, 13 letters, to be exact. Many consider Paul's letter to the church at Rome to be the most important book in the Bible. I'm not so quick to say that one part of the Bible is more important than the rest, but Romans is certainly a great book. Paul's chief aim here is to spell out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what the good news is and what it is not what it looks like when someone truly believes in Jesus and how we as believers are to follow Him in response. The letter reaches a crescendo in Romans chapter 8, and uh, that's where we will pick up. So please follow as I read. I'll read the first four verses. Romans chapter 8, verses one through four, And remember, this is the Word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen. Now, I must tell you on the front end that I'm a little bit out of my comfort zone. I just finished teaching through Ephesians, which is six chapters long, and I taught it for three years, which averages about two chapters a year, and here I am trying to teach one chapter in four lessons, feeling a little out of control. And join that to the fact that some think Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the greatest book in the Bible, all to say it is a tall order. And we are only scratching the surface, uh, but even at that, I think we can do some serious good. So let us pray again to that end. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would please take this, your word, open it to us, plant it in our hearts, grow good fruit from it in our lives. We pray that you would increase our hope in Christ. We pray that you would transform us into his likeness and image. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Guide and lead us in your paths. And we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you listening on the app or website, you may notice that this sounds a bit different from normal. It is because uh, there was a trouble recording in class, and I am re-recording this in my office, especially for you, so uh, if it sounds different, that's why, but nonetheless, uh, I'm approaching this as I would any other sermon um, with prayerfulness and uh, urgency, and so praying God's blessing to you. The great theme of Romans 8 is the security of the Christian. So if you miss out on everything else that I say in this little series, at least you can go home, you can open your Bible to Romans 8, uh, and you can know that this chapter is about the Christian's eternal security, the assurance of salvation, the assurance that we have God's eternal blessing in Jesus Christ. We will be considering that theme today, and we're really going to focus on verses 1-3. through But we're going to have to build our way to verse 1 because Paul has been building to verse 1 for seven chapters. So we need to understand something of what is behind it if we're going to be able to even begin uh, to comprehend, to, to appreciate this amazing promise that there is right now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we're going to be able to appreciate the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, we need to understand something about the condemnation that is certain for those outside of Christ. First, let me say a few quick things about the text, and we will work our way in that direction. About verse 1, the language of in Christ Jesus is important. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Paul uses that language a lot. Most notably in Ephesians chapter 1, as you may remember. Uh, To make it simple, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are joined to Jesus by faith. You are in Christ. The theological term is union with Christ. We are united to Jesus by faith. The idea is that by putting your faith in Jesus, you are joined to all of who He is, and you are given all of who He is. You are essentially swallowed up in Him. So if you believe in Jesus right now, then all of His life was yours. His death and resurrection were yours. You are right now seated in Christ, in heaven, in victory over Satan, sin, and death. His ascension was yours. And so on. Maybe that's still hard to comprehend, but that's the idea. And hopefully, God will give us more understanding as we go. If you lack for wisdom and understanding in this matter, ask Him for understanding. He will help you. A couple other textual notes. In verse 2, it says the law of the Spirit of life and the law of sin and death. And then verse 3, we see that word law again. God has done what the law could not do. Now, the law of the Spirit of life is talking about the Holy Spirit. We could say the fixed reality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to all believers, never to be taken away. It's a fixed reality in the Christian life that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The law of the Spirit of life. And same for the law of sin and death. The fixed reality that sin leads to death. So we could say the Holy Spirit fixed inside the Christian frees us from sin and death. That's all it means. But then in verse 3... The law means the law, referring to God's commandments, which are sort of summarized in the Ten Commandments. All right, also notice the emphasis on the Trinity in our passage. God the Father, Son, and Spirit. Verse 2 says that God the Holy Spirit has done something in Christ, set us free from sin and death. In verse 3, God the Father has done something in and through the Son as well. doesn't say the Father in the text, but when it's talking about God sending His Son, that's talking about God the Father sending God the Son. By sending His Son, God condemns sin in the flesh and so on. So one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, all right there in a couple of verses. Alright, this week we are going to talk about what God the Father has done in and through Jesus. And then we will talk next week about what the Holy Spirit has done and is doing in Christ, in and through us. So the first thing to note about what the Father has done in and through Jesus is that verse 3 says God has done something that the law could not do. Or we could say commandments. God has done something the law or commandments could not do. In terms of securing our salvation from sin and death, and condemnation over our sin. The law could not do it. God did it. And this is very important because a lot of people misunderstand the purpose of the law. Maybe you have thought that the law was given to the people of Israel so that they could keep the law in order to be saved. Well, that's wrong. The law was not given to Israel so that they could save themselves. And we see that even uh, and if you read through the narrative in Exodus chapter 20, it begins with, I am the Lord your God who called you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Something like that. I don't think I got it exactly right. But that's grace. I am your God. I have rescued you. Then come the commandments. So we see that the commandments are given in the context of relationship with God, context of grace. It was never about God or the, the commandments being used to save themselves. God saved them and then gave them the commandments. So, there are three general purposes of the law of God. Number one, the law is there to show us our sin, to show us that we can't save ourselves. Number two, the law leads us to Jesus, the one who did save us. And number three, the law shows us how to live as saved people. So it was for Israel, and so it is for the church. The law shows us our sin. The law leads us to Jesus And the law shows us how to live as Jesus' people. So it is true that the commands had to be perfectly kept in order for God's people to be saved. But none of us has perfectly kept the commands of God even for one minute in our whole lives. No one in Israel or any other nation, no Jew or Gentile, Except for Jesus. That's one of the big points that Paul has already made in Romans chapter 3. We are all sinners, Jew and Gentile. No one is righteous, no one is good in and of ourselves. And then he goes on later to talk about the purpose of the law in showing us our sin. Paul says the law came in to increase the trespass or to increase our sin. That doesn't mean that we become worse sinners, necessarily. It means that the law shows us how bad we already were. It increases our sin in our own mind's eye. For example, someone could live their life lusting after everyone they see. Then the law comes in and says, Thou shall not commit adultery. And Jesus spells that out for us even more by saying that if we lust after someone, we have committed adultery with them in our heart. The law is doing its work. It's showing us our sin. The sin was already there, but the law exposes it. The commands shine a light on the sin that's already there. God did not give us the law so that we could save ourselves. In the first place, He gave us the law to show us that we couldn't save ourselves. The commandments come in to increase sin in our own mind's eye and let us know our need for Jesus. We really have to get this because when this happens, people often think that something is wrong, like they aren't doing the Christian life right. Something is definitely wrong, our sin, but something is not wrong with realizing our sin. Something is very right about that. So this is what it looks like. Someone starts reading their Bible, praying more, or paying more attention in church, maybe reading the Bible with a small group, walking closely with a group of Christian friends. Whatever it is, the person is really seeking to get closer to the Lord. And you're seeing all these commands everywhere. Do this. Don't do that. And you're feeling more and more guilty because you have failed in so many ways. Well, praise the Lord. That's the law, doing what the law does. God didn't give all these commands as the way for us to save ourselves. The law was given to show us that we can't save ourselves and then to lead us to the one who can. And indeed, who has the only Savior. Jesus Christ, the Lord. As for us, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We sin, therefore we die. But that's not all we need to know about sin. Sin separates us from God. We see this at the very beginning of the Bible with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God gave the command not to eat the fruit. They ate the fruit anyway, and then God sent them out of His presence in the garden. So think about that. One sin, and they were sent out of the presence of God. They had immediate spiritual death in their sin and promised physical death, the immediate spiritual death seen in separation from God, And and ultimately, he promised that they would die physically as well. Because God is holy and knows no sin. Even one sin separates us from Him. And sin is not something we can make up to God. But in order to be in relationship with God, we have to be without sin. Yet none of us is without sin. And we can't work our way back to God because even our best works are stained with our sin. But our greatest need is to get back in good standing relationship with God because to die separated from God is to be under His eternal condemnation for our sin. We are all sinners, sin separates us from God and assures us that we will die. And the worst part of the separation is the condemnation, eternal punishment in hell. In and of ourselves, we would all stand condemned before God, destined to eternal punishment under God's holy wrath because of our sin. But praise be to God, He did not leave us to ourselves. For one, He gave us the law. But He didn't give us the commands to say, Here, go and save yourself. Here's how you do it. In the first place, He gave us the law to show us that we couldn't save ourselves. To show us just how bad a predicament we're in in our sin. Just one sin separates us from God and subjects us to His eternal condemnation, and many of us have sinned more than once in the last couple minutes. So here are some of the commands: don't tell a lie, don't steal, don't lust, don't gossip. Love God with your whole heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Work hard for the Lord and not for the approval of other people. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. So, have you ever told a lie? Ever stolen anything? Ever lusted after anyone? What about gossip? Have you ever not loved God with your whole heart? Have you ever loved yourself more than someone else? Ever been selfish? Have you ever sought other people's approval and affirmation instead of the Lord? Have you ever not rejoiced in the Lord? In any given circumstance? Or have you ever not given thanks to the Lord? One sin earns God's condemnation. And the law comes in to show us just how sinful we are. God gave us the law to show us our sin and ultimately. To lead us to Christ. By sending His Son in human flesh and for sin, God did what the law could not do. The law could not deal with sin. It could only expose it. Jesus dealt with it. Instead of condemning us, God condemned our sin by condemning His Son. God loved us so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect, sinless human life that we have not lived, and to take our condemnation on Himself on the cross. Back to that scene in the Garden of Eden when God sent Adam and Eve out of His presence. And it says that He guarded the way back in with a flaming sword. That was the flaming sword of God's wrath and condemnation. Jesus came and lived a perfect, sinless life, perfectly obeying God's commands, fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law so that He did not have to leave the garden and He did not have to die. But He chose to leave the garden in our place. And He chose to die on the cross, taking the flaming sword of God's wrath and condemnation on Himself in our place. We owed an eternal debt to God that we could not pay, but as we love to sing, Jesus paid it all. He then rose from the grave and he now stands as the door back into fellowship with God. He said so himself in John chapter 10. I am the door. Anyone who enters by me will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from condemnation over our sin. So where the sword was, Jesus took the sword, He rose from the grave, and He now stands. How do we enter through Jesus back into eternal good standing with God? We put our faith in Him. No matter how much sin we've got, no matter how much sin the law has exposed, no matter what we've done, we believe that Jesus paid for all of it. He came to save sinners. And as we put our faith in Him, God's condemnation is forever removed from us. In fact, the Bible says that our sin is forever removed from us as far as the East is from the West. That doesn't mean it isn't still there because we all know that it is. It means that God already punished all of our sin in Christ our past sin, our present sin, even our future sin. There's nothing left to punish. It's as if it wasn't even there. So God never again views us according to our sin. He views us as perfect and righteous forever through Jesus. We know that we're going to die because of our sin. We also know that we have earned God's condemnation, but we don't have to be condemned. Indeed, if we are in Christ, we are assured that we will not be. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ, when we die, we will not perish under condemnation, but we will have eternal life with God. The law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And there is no other way to be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, There is no more important decision you will ever make, and there is no better time to put your faith in Him than right now. Some of you might say you are not a believer. My bet is that most who would listen to this would say that they are. But there are some, though you know all the right answers, your heart isn't in it, and you're not really saved. You know, I've talked before about the difference uh, in my conversion. I I was a praying man before that, or a boy, rather. But uh, I I was in a heap of trouble for a few years before I truly turned to Christ. And, And I would pray to God to help me, sometimes daily. But my prayer, as I reflect on it, was often, God, help me so I can go back to living my life. So that I can go back to doing things the way that I want to do them. So that I can go back to the way that things were before. But the night that I was saved, there was a very different posture in my heart and very different language in my mouth when I said, God, if You'll have me, if Your grace is what they say it is, take my life and do something with it. Maybe you think, I'll get serious about this later. You know, I remember thinking the same way before I was saved. I would just say to you do not think that that is a neutral position. As we will discuss more next week, that is a position of hostility toward God. That is listening to the first commandment, You shall have no other gods before me, and saying to God, F you. I want to be my own God for a little while. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, now is the time to repent of your sin, forsake your life, turn to Christ, believe in Him, and give yourself over to following Him. And for those of you who are believers, might today serve to strengthen your eternal security in Christ. Your soul is safe. There is right now and forever no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ, those who are united to Him by faith. Remember what I said earlier. By putting your faith in Jesus, you are joined to all of who He is. You are given all of who He is. So, if you believe in Jesus right now, then all of His life was yours. God views you in Christ and you are credited with Jesus' perfect, righteous life so that you are seen as if you never sinned and are thus welcomed into eternal fellowship with God. But not only His life, His death was also yours. Your sin has been condemned on the cross 2,000 years ago. The wages of sin is death, and the wages were paid in full. You were condemned in Christ so that there is no more condemnation for you. He was our substitute. Which is how God can view you as though you never sinned. Your sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. Jesus then rose from the grave and we rose in Him. We can be confident that we will be resurrected into glory when we die because we are united to Jesus by faith, so in a very real sense, we are already there in Him. We will talk more about that as we get further down in chapter 8. Next week, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 13, which deals with the Christian life, called here, Life in the Spirit. And we will talk, among other things, about our fight against sin. This news that there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ is particularly good news for those who are engaged in the fight against sin, which we all should be. Because when we are actively engaged in killing the flesh, putting off the old life, and putting on our new life in Christ, for one, uh, one thing we become aware of is, is just how much sin we've got. And that is really the context of the great promise of chapter 8, verse 1. So follow along or just listen as I read Um, the end of, of chapter 7 starting in verse 18 to the beginning of chapter 8 for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh for I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out for I do not do the good I want but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing now if I do what I do not want it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, in my body. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So, if you can relate to what Paul is saying there, this is particularly good news. Especially to be applied in those moments when condemnation feels most likely. When your sin is ever before you. When you're very aware, yeah, I want to walk in God's ways. But whenever I want to do right, I find it a law within me that evil lies close at hand. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The Spirit has set me free from sin and death. Let us pray. Oh Father, it is our great hope that we will be with you in glory. And it's not just wishful thinking. It's it's based on rock-solid promise. As you have said here in your Word, there is no condemnation. You do not hold our sin against us because you have fully condemned our sin in Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We will truly never know what it costs you to pay for our sin because we will never know the wrath of God thank you Father for your great love thank you Holy Spirit for coming to dwell inside of us and make us alive to these great promises to this great salvation in Christ Lord help us to rest secure in your grace and mercy and love and for those that do not know you would you draw them to yourself we pray in Jesus name Amen.